Hello and welcome to Sharp HR Career Corner with Karen Sharp Price. This podcast will inform and inspire you in your quest to find the right career path. If you're just starting out, looking to make a change in your field or transitioning into a new career, then this podcast is for you. We'll be sharing tips and providing resources on topics such as writing resumes, interviewing, using LinkedIn, and networking. We will take a look at different careers, companies, and opportunities. You will hear success stories from professionals in all career paths, and so much more. You will leave this podcast with three key takeaways that you can easily put into practice. Enjoy! Welcome to Sharp HR Career Corner. I'm Karen Sharp Price. Today we're going to talk to Lindsay Picardo, corporate trainer, keynote speaker, and millennial guru expert. Hi, Lindsay. How are you doing? I'm thrilled that you're here today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I I have so many questions to ask you, and I know we may not get through all of them because (laughs) a question will lead to another question. But um, but let's get let's try. Let's get started. So I want to go back to Syracuse University. So you're there. You're getting your psychology degree. You graduate. And then you have an opportunity to travel the world and be in a band. So I I have to go back just a little bit before that. How long had you been playing the drums before that happened? Yeah, I had been a musician most of my life, but I had been playing the drums since about sixth grade. So I tried a ton of different instruments, the piano, the guitar, and you know, for me, I stuck with the drums because I loved my teacher, which we all know how much of an impact teachers have. Yeah. You know, and I love to practice, which I think is really important in kiddos when you're learning new skills is if you don't like to practice it, if you don't like dribbling drills for basketball and shooting drills, you're not going to really stick with it. So for me, you know, I stuck with drums since sixth grade. I loved patterns, memorizing patterns. It was kind of like hypnotic to get better and better at different drum beats. And uh, yeah, so I've been doing it for quite a long time, over a decade wow. before I ventured out. And, and how did your parents like that practicing? You know, <laughs> my parents did not mind, which yeah. I, that's gotta be, you know, divine because <sighs> drums are literally next to like a squeaky violin <laughs> way up there. You know, I'd be booming through the house. We had a, my drum kit in the basement and I'd be booming it through the house, and they just didn't care. So wow. kudos to them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have two kids right now, and we've, I've got one who's interested in uh, guitar and has taught himself how to play guitar, and he's also um, taking piano lessons. So those awesome. are nicer to hear, but the, so- <laughs> yeah. but the songs are the same over and over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, so I can't imagine the drums. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so, so what, what type of music have you been playing since the sixth grade? You know, it all depended on the season of life and like who was influencing me at the time. So when I first started out, I was playing like old school rock and roll, the basic beats, Beatles music, things like that, where, you know, you can kind of pick it up and learn it quickly as a kid. And then that evolved through much more complex jazz music is way more complex. I still suck at jazz, but you know, I, I like it, but I'm not very good at it. Um, drummers like Carter Buford, who have a jazz background but play rock music with Dave Matthews Band. Uh-huh. You know, I tried to evolve and expose myself to different types, and I learned quickly what I was kind of naturally good at and what I would always struggle with <laughs> in, the, in the different genres that I've covered. Yeah. So when you were at Syracuse, did, did you continue to play or just for fun? Yeah, I brought a drum kit to school. 
And I actually had two drum kits at school, and one of them was in the attic of the house that I lived in. So you can imagine a, a house that's built in the early 1900s, and you're going into the attic to play. I always imagined falling right through, you know, the floorboards of the attic. It was pretty toasty up there. But I also played for a lot of churches and ministries, too. So I was setting up and tearing down a lot for church services or for Easter service and stuff like that. So I found myself playing quite often. Wow. Yeah. So so how so now we go to Syracuse and you graduate you've got a degree in psychology were you like just prior to graduation were you thinking you wanted to possibly go on and get like a psychology masters or doctorate or something like that or like where was that piece what what were you thinking at that moment Yeah I love psychology I too obviously the work I do today reveals that mm-hmm. uh, but I love understanding how people work and why we make the decisions we do and how to be safer people for others. So that's why I love psychology. There's a lot of courses that taught me about kind of the human experience and I love that. And at the same time I had a dual degree in public communications which was me doing recording bands, going on the radio, interning at radio stations, doing a lot more kind of on-air work and then recording work and some video and TV work production as well. And so oh. You know, I'm about to graduate and I'm thinking, just like you said, am I getting a social work degree? Am I getting my master's in social work? Am I getting my PhD in psychology? Is that the route? And I didn't have a ton of excitement or energy around it. And I've really tried since I was a kid to follow my energy. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it just kind of fell flat, even though I love all my, if you looked at my bookshelf, it's all psych books. <laughs> For some reason, I didn't want to go farther with that. And, you know, with the trades, the trades that I was in and with recording music recording and being in radio you know that was just super compelling to me so i was trying to figure out you know how am i going to bring all these pieces together and what gives me the most life and energy that's really all i was thinking as i was heading towards graduation wow so you get an opportunity to travel yeah. the world now not just the states but the world truly yeah i ended up working with a not for profit that was organizing bands to go around the world and so oh. I jumped in on that and I traveled coast to coast in the United States. I've gone driven to the West Coast way too many times, <laughs> but <laughs> I've done that. I've traveled to Mexico City and played shows there in Panama. I've played there. I've played over in Europe, Switzerland, Germany, France, got wow. to play all different venues. So, you know, everything from underground clubs to jails and prisons to college campuses, we were everywhere you could plug in. Oh my gosh. And what kind of music were you playing? Uh, mostly aggressive rock music, so pretty loud, um, fast rock music. Wow, that that's very cool. Okay, so we just go back a little bit, though. So you graduate, you're not so excited about psychology yet, in, in, but you know you want to use it, part of that, yeah. um, in your life. You get this opportunity to travel. you you got to go back to your parents and have this conversation. Um <laughs> And so how does that how does that work? I mean, it sounds like if they let you have a drum set since you're sixth grade and you're probably playing daily, they knew that you had some ability because you, you must have been playing pretty well. You, you knew they knew that you had some passion because you kept it going because usually passion dies out and kid goes on to something else and you know that's sure. it and they say thank goodness but but yours <laughs> yours kept going so they knew that it, this wasn't just a, an overnight thing that you were interested in but on the other hand 
you just graduated from Syracuse University. It had to be a little bit costly. You were heading towards, you know, down the road of psychology. So how do parents take all that in, process it, and then let you go? Oh my gosh. Well, I feel, you know, I feel for my parents because they, me and my brother both, you know, there was no option. You were going to college. If you're a millennial and you were going to college in the late 90s, early 2000s, that was the only option. You're not going to a trade school. You're, you know, you're not just getting a job. And that was really important to my parents because of their background and the work that they came from. My mom grew up on a farm. My dad was part of his whole family or public servants, firemen Mm -hmm. and cops. And so, you know, for them, I could totally see how this was their kids were going to college, getting these higher ed degrees, going to make a difference in the world. And so when I sat them down and said, you know, I'm going to raise funds and then travel the world as a musician, they were not thrilled. And that was hard to take in because, you know, they had worked their whole life for me to even get to college. And so it was tense. My dad, I remember we were sitting at dinner, having a spaghetti dinner, and my dad put his knife and fork down when I said, you know, I think I'm going to go travel the world as a drummer. You can't do that. You're going to travel. We're going to hit things with sticks. That's not why we sent you to college. You know, and then going into you're not going to have a retirement. You're not going to have health care. Like we set you up to win. And now you're just going to be like kind of a vagrant running the running the world, like sleeping on sofas. And so that was hard. I think every parent has moments where, you know, their kids aren't making the choices that they really want them to. And parents have the advantage of so much more life experience and kind of knowing how things will likely play out. And, you know, I was super curious and needed to get out and kind of try it. And so through a couple conversations, my parents accepted, you know, that this is what I was going to do. And they really leaned into the character that they instilled in me. They taught me to be independent. They taught me to be curious. And so this is the natural result, you know, and um, and they embraced it ultimately. But I think it's a process and parenting is, you know, a process of dying to yourself, really, and what your dreams are for your kids so yeah. that they can truly be free. So I have so much respect for my parents that through so I've had a lot of life decisions that have been hard for them. And they have continued to be support, totally supportive and loving and, you know, come my way as much as they could understand. That's all you can really ask of yeah. a parent. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, it's kind of like when you go to like a baseball game and you see all these parents and hockey games and you see these parents on the sidelines and they're screaming at their kid to to do what they have to do. And at some point, is it really what you want for your kid or is it what you hoped that you had done when you were a kid? Exactly. There's that little fine line there that sometimes parents have to kind of take a step back and say, at some point, yes, we've given them the foundation and they may just, you know, get out there and just explode and do a great job or they may find themselves and and come back and, and get on a different road. But if they don't do that, they're going to wish they had at some point. And then they're going to look at us to say, well, you didn't let me. <laughs> you didn't let me try. And now I'm too old and I can't go that way and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, parents, it's a, it, it's a, just a great area of wanting the best for your child who doesn't, but then giving them some free will and free space to make mistakes. I mean, I think that's the hardest part. Yeah. Parents don't want them to make mistakes 
So they want to try to save them from that moment. But sometimes sure. that's where the learning is, is, is in the mistake. It, you don't really learn as much when everything goes smooth. Isn't that the truth? And I think that's part of, you know, learning safety and love with your family, too, is I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to do things right all the time. I mean, I remember I was going through a divorce and I was on the phone with my parents and they're 600 miles away and I'm going through this and they were kind of rocked by it. I was surprised. It was not, it was a difficult situation. And I remember my dad said, listen, girl, this is going to suck for about a year. You're going to hate it. It's going to be awful. And then it's going to get better. And I'm getting my truck. I'm on my way. And you know, that's how, I mean, I could get teary because it's like, that's what parents end up doing is saying, the life is going to punch you in the face. It's going to be hard. And I'm here. And I think too often when we try to say, well, I'm going to protect you from getting punched in the face. You don't actually create love and connection because now I know that my dad will always be there because I went through such a hard situation. And I think it's, yeah, I'm sure he was wincing as he watched me walk into that and out of that situation. And yet, you know, our bond was stronger because of it. And so that's the catch of parenting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's that unconditional love. And, you know, some people ask, some people say they have that unconditional love, but the, the true test is when, when your, when your son or daughter comes to you and says, I think I want to dot, dot, dot. Yeah. This is going to blow your mind what I'm about to tell you, you know, and then, yeah. And then, and then you, um, let it process and then you stand by them. That's good right. or bad, and and right. help them through it. I, I teach at a local um, college, and a lot of the students are in the boat of, I'm not sure what I want to do. You know, there's so many yeah. options right now, and I have so many interests, and I don't know which way I want to go. Sometimes some of those interests pull them stronger than others, and they just yeah. have to try it. It's a hard, It's a hard place to be for a parent, but if you look back at that parent in their life, they didn't have it easy either. And they took some some roads less traveled. And sometimes they succeeded and sometimes they didn't. But but it is that's the life that that's the excitement of the life is when you have those pivots and those turns. And yeah, things can get really ugly and bad. But through that, the stuff that you personally have learned through that experience at Syracuse, through the band traveling all over the world, through what you're doing now, through your divorce, that has made you who you are today, which makes you a better person in what you're doing in your career. Because you understand when someone calls you and says, this is my story, you can say, oh yeah, I I totally get that. I've been there before. That's it. Because how do you you know, I haven't had every single life experience, obviously, but I've had enough that have knocked me down a couple pegs or just flat on the floor that I can really find that empathy when people have hit the unexpected. Yeah. And, you know, I think about, we have this kind of joke on my team about being like roughed up, dirty old cowboys that have been out West and come back. So when we see a rattlesnake, we're like snake, no biggie. You know, oh, we don't have dinner tonight. All right, it is what it is. We don't have a pillow. We're just sleeping under the stars. It's fine. Like having some ruggedness, but really internally on the emotional side. So I like to think of myself like a cowboy on the inside who's emotionally robust and rugged. And not that I'm calloused over, but I can say like, yep, life is going to, you know, you're going to run into these things in the wild. You're going to run into the rattlesnake. You're going to run into difficulty. 
and we're just going to move through it because we've gone through enough where we know we can get up again. Yep. And I think that robustness is what I know millennials we need and even younger, we need to continue to develop our emotional fortitude because life is speeding up right now because of technology. And so I tell yeah. students that all the time when they're thinking, what am I going to do with my career? I said, build into your personal development, know what you're good at and keep drilling towards what you're best at because the opportunities are endless. If you find that you're a great communicator and you love cats, you can have the Top Cats podcast be sponsored by IAM's Cat Food and make a living and cat sit on the weekends. You can do it however you want. And yeah. sometimes there's so much opportunity that we're overwhelmed emotionally and we don't move towards the things we want. We get smaller and we crouch. And I think that's part of getting that emotional robustness and being proud of what you've gone through in life and reflecting and saying, I've got, I've been knocked down. Like you said, parents, you've been knocked down. You got back up. That same blood is in your kids. They can do it too. Yep. Yep. Sometimes lose sight of that. You're not going to do it perfect. Life is going to be a mess in a lot of ways. And so how you choose to navigate that and the attitude that you have is really what shapes your trajectory. Yep, and I totally agree. Like when I started out counseling, you know, career coaching and things, the stories were like, wow. Like I tried to like contain my, okay. (laughs) But now over 20 years, when someone calls me and, and they just are, you know, a mess, it's like to me, oh my gosh, no, this is nothing. Like we can certainly get you through that. It's those life experiences that, that really do help. So you're yep. originally from Rochester, New York, which is only yeah. an hour away from Buffalo, which is where I am right now. In fact, my yep. husband grew up in Rochester. So his mother's still there. How did you end up in Indianapolis? Yeah, I mean, to be a part of the band that I was touring with, I had to move out to Indy. So pretty much after graduation, I went and just actually just ran around the country for a month with a friend and did some touring with a friend, just vacationing. And then I moved and settled in Indianapolis back in 2007. Wow. So you must yeah. you you must love it there. You know, Indy's a great place. It's the speed of the north. It's fast. Service is fast. And uh, but there's it's it's pretty hospitable. You know, when I first moved out here because I have this New York kind of East Coast mentality, everybody was like, you got to take your intensity down a bit. You know, you don't have to be so intense about your favorite ice cream flavor and fight somebody for it. So I had to really learn to like cool my jets a bit. And uh, I like the mentality of the Midwest. It, it serves me well. So I've enjoyed being out here, but it's definitely a culture change. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're going to take a small break and, I, and I'm going to explain what we're about to do. So we're going to just play this very quick, fast game. You'll, you'll feel like you're uh, from New York again. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions, quick questions. Whatever pops into your head, you just answer. So it doesn't have to be anything that you have to study for. <laughs> so, so this helps us get to know you a little bit faster. Um, and then we'll go back to our regular questions. The first one is virtual or in-person events? Yes. <laughs> You like both. I do like both. I really do miss being in person. Virtual just offers an opportunity to connect with people instantly. And I love that as a millennial. So I like both. And I think the future will be both. Yeah, I agree. Social media of choice. Uh, Personally, I like to binge on TikTok. But I really love what's happening on LinkedIn right now. LinkedIn is where Facebook was five years ago, where you can really build awesome relationships and have really meaningful professional conversations so it's between those two well as a, as a generation xer i don't get tiktok 
<laughs> I, I, I tried. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I appreciate your, your willingness to try it. Um, next one, a, a hobby or interest that you do outside of your work life? Well, definitely drums. I've got drumsticks right over here in my office. And I love dogs. I rescue dogs. I've got one sleeping in my bed right here. Oh. So usually those are the two things I'm blabbing about, doing, talking about if I'm not if I'm not public speaking or getting ready to. But that's what I'm doing. I'm hanging out with my dogs. Okay. Um, what movie streaming platform do you like the most? Ooh. I'm on a Hulu kick right now. Mm. What what's your uh, what are you watching? Well, I just finished Mare of Easttown, which is uh, actually on HBO, but it's I'm watching it through Hulu. And it's just a short, it's like six episodes story of a detective uh-huh. on the East Coast solving some crimes. And uh, it's Kate Winslet, so okay. brilliant acting. Yeah. Really good. Okay. Favorite musician? Carter Buford, the drummer for Dave Matthews Band, is way up there uh, as a drummer. For me, uh, Nate Morton, he's the drummer for The Voice. He used to drum for Vanessa Carlton and other singer-songwriters, and he is a mentor of mine. I think he's fantastic. He's a great human first and a phenomenal drummer second. So they're my favorite drummers. Okay. Favorite place that you've traveled in the world? Ooh. I do love a good little village in Europe. Any little village in Europe, especially in the Black Forest in Germany, it's Gorgeous. Wow. Okay. Choice of beverage. Uh, I drink a lot of nitro from Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a bunch of the cups right here. I think you just gave us your secret energy. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Phone call or email? Phone, please. Favorite food? (sighs) Well, my grandma's meatballs are way up there. I've had to learn how to make them. Uh, That's number one, easily. Favorite restaurant? Well, we have a restaurant group out here called Patachu, and uh, we've got there's brunch options, there's lunch and dinner options, and so anything Martha Hoover makes here in the Midwest, I'm down. Okay. Eat. Wow. All right. Thank you. Thank you for playing along. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Hello. we're gonna we're gonna return back to our, our regular questions. So you were in the band for six years, which is yeah. a really it, that's a long time to be traveling that much. What was the turning point for you to get out of the band? What what happened that made you decide at that moment that you were going to pivot and, and try something different? Yeah, I mean, the main thing, to be blunt, is that I was just failing as a leader. So I was leading the band through a lot of change, through a lot of decision making. So the my dream band uh, that I was in first, they... Um, We were on a tour. We were on several tours, obviously, together. And we had so many issues that would come up. And you can imagine touring, the amount of details that go into touring is insane. Your equipment, all, you know, every location, your tour manager, all that. And under that amount of stress, I'm not a great leader. I, I don't tend to have boundaries. I don't tend to communicate without a ton of emotion and reactivity. And so I think some of it was we just weren't, like a lot of bands, we weren't emotionally and psychologically compatible to stay together. I do think that's part of it. And I still talk to my bandmates to this day and we kind of laugh about it now, but you know, it was enough where it was like, you know what, this isn't fun. Nobody's happy. It's a lot of stress, a lot of decision-making and we can't handle it. So 
that was the my big band that I really love being a part of. We really just fell apart because there was interpersonal drama, which is like uh, the story of yeah you know, of everything. Company. Yeah, is the drummer usually in charge of of the band, or was that just a role you took on? Yeah, I mean. In every band, like if you're seeing a band perform and they're not like Taylor Swift's band, okay, because that's like a whole nother echelon. We're talking like sleeping in the van, getting $60 a night motel type situation. When you're that grassroots, everybody in the band has three or four jobs. So one of my jobs was to co-direct that band, which means making decisions around where we tour, how much money we have, how we spend it, you know, how we interact with our hosts that are booking us, all of that. Wow. And um, there was a bunch of other jobs, too. I mentioned tour manager, equipment manager. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, to, yeah. to last six years and do that, 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 that actually is very long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I could have lasted a six months for that. Um, so, so at, okay, so you know the band's is ending, and, and, yeah. you're, and you're thinking, okay, I've done this six years. Yeah. What, where do you go? Where do you go to center yourself to now look back and think about where you started at Syracuse? And do you want to pursue that? What, what's going on? Well, I did actually, it's funny that you say that because I actually did go back to my alma mater and talk to the social work department, talk to like masters of psychology, went back, wanted to connect with what opportunities I could take on next and really get a feel for who I am and what I want most. And I like to think of um, my own life as like a, a target that's slowly revealing more and more. And so I started to ask, like, I love drumming. What else do I love? Humans. What else do I love? Performing. Okay, well, if we take the drumming part out, what other performances are we talking about? What else do I have training in? And I had been trained extensively with stage performance, and I had been doing public speaking at that point. So okay. it made sense that I would start to take what I knew and my comfort on, of being on stage and pivot that to another career that's similar. So that's really how I got into public speaking. I just happened to have been doing it in a different capacity, you know, for six years and getting, you know, public speaking is a very odd experience because, you know, human beings were all like little predator lions and you got hundreds of eyeballs staring at you and yeah. to learn to not become so like self-centered in those moments to still give and to know people are going to judge you and to know people do judge me. They, I've heard every weird comment about the way I look to the way that I talk. I've heard it all. And, you know, I had just happened to be in a position where I had kind of built up the fortitude to handle that professionally. Mm. And so I feel really lucky. I think all of our lives, if we look back, there's a thread, there's a divine thread mm -hmm. moving through our lives where Things that seemingly don't go together do. And to trust that and to lean into the mystery of life and to just take the next step. I think you know this as a coach. I know it too. You always think we've got to have a game plan. We've got to do a aim smart goal. We've got to know where we're going. And that does work to a certain extent. And then you got the X factor of life. You've got the X factor of desire. Yep. You've got different things that come into your life that shift your values around. If you get sick, all of a sudden your health is more important than traveling, you know, whatever. So I've tried to give myself that wiggle through these transitions, a little extra grace, a little extra compassion, and trust in myself that, that I can make it work. Something will work out. It's those unexpected opportunities that pop up 
whether they're a conversation with somebody or, hey, we need somebody for this. Would you want to fill in? Or, you know, and it's those moments that if you don't take that, that could take you in a whole different direction. And and some people are very fearful of those unknowns. So you were going back, you were talking to people who have been in that field and you're trying to pull everything together. Where did the idea of the professional, you know, career coaching certificate come into play? How did you learn about that? Because back then, I mean, you were talking a few years ago, that wasn't really out there um, as a career. You kind of have to dig. I mean, even now, I, you know, I even dug a little bit to get my own. So, so where, where did that come from? Because you could have taken that to another level and gone on and got another degree, which could have taken you several more years. Um, So what, what made you decide that route? Well, it's really interesting that you asked that because I went to one of my favorite therapists that was in my community and I said, I want to be just like you when I grow up. And he said, no. Huh? He said, this is not, his name is Jim. He's awesome. And Jim was like, Lindsay, this is not the route for you. I know you. And there's other ways to help people grow. The the therapeutic like personality route is not the right route for you. And what a merciful life-changing thing to say to me. He didn't tell me how to find a different way. He just said, there's a different way, and I think you should investigate. And I had so much respect for him and was so stunned because I kind of thought he'd be flattered that I said I wanted to be like him. (laughs) And uh, it was really, that was a big turn for me, that moment where he was willing to say that to me. And so I started to ask around and started Googling. This was like 2011, 2012. Like, what other options? Like, can you, how can I help people grow? Basically, how do I help people grow and evolve and coaching was quiet you're right it was under the radar still yeah when i went to coaching school i was the youngest person there by over a decade you know i felt like a little baby walking in wow really hard for me and um i found coaching and i started to study and learn what it was and how it was rooted in cognitive behavioral uh research and and how it worked inside of people's lives and i thought this is exactly what i'm supposed to do hmm Again, like followed my energy on it. So you you got the piece about coaching, but then where does the millennial piece come in? Because that that is the piece that's on fire. I mean, that is a piece that is going to be a problem for for years to come. So how did you pick that? You know what you're bringing up, Karen, which is so interesting, is like every decision that ultimately helped me felt awful, like felt like a failure in the moment. Huh. So my therapy friend saying, don't be a therapist and yep. me being upset, going into coaching school and being like, I'm the youngest person here by a decade. All I've done for a living is hit things with sticks. Yeah. Truly, what the heck am I doing here? And I really wrestled with that. I felt inferior. I felt small. And, you know, I was there with like VPs of banks and mm-hmm. people who had long careers who had just decided in their kind of sunset of their career that they wanted to learn coaching, you know, as a consultant and as a coach. And, and I remember sitting there and thinking, okay, what do I have to offer that nobody else in this room has to offer? And my biggest liability felt like my youth, but it was actually my strong suit. Yeah. So I thought, okay, if I'm most embarrassed, the most energy I have right now is around my youth. I'm going to grab it by the neck and use it. And that's what ended up happening is I created a program called Unleash My Career. And I thought, I'm just going to go to the youth. I'm not going to try to talk to the CEO. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. 
I'm going to talk to the people that he just hired in his company. And what's happened over seven years, not overnight, but over seven years is now CEOs look at me as that millennial translator, as the translator for those younger generations. So the thing that I thought my youth was going to be detriment is the edge that I have on the marketplace. Wow. So if you put me back to back with a boomer that wants to talk about the future of work and millennials, I win every time because <laughs> of course you're going to have a millennial talk about millennials. You're going to have yeah. the person that lives that lifestyle explain it to other generations. Yep. So it's, isn't that wild how things turn out like that? It, it is. And like, were you hearing, sensing, even with your friends, that there was this, you know, in many ways, myths about millennials? In, in the And because there was a time when it was all the chatter was all complaints. Absolutely. It was, you know, they don't show up, they don't work hard, they want us to hold their hand, they don't stay around long enough, they're not loyal. I mean, the list would just go on and on and on. And it was yeah. like, it was like they were just coming into the workforce. And this is what was being created. And, and that just just exploded because everybody was just jumping on the bandwagon. They weren't giving them a chance. They weren't giving each individual the opportunity to prove what they had. They were just saying, they were grouping them together and saying, oh, you're from this age group. This is who you are. And and then the millennials were fighting back saying, no, I'm not that way. (laughs) Maybe my my roommate was, but I'm not. Um, And so so you kind of came in at that unbelievable opportunity. I mean, that was a great time for you to bring those two worlds together, the psychology part, the millennial part, and then say, look at I do understand these people. I am one of them. And so so that gives you credibility right there. Because right. you're not that CEO who is a couple generations, you know, past who says, I have a couple kids that are that generation, so I understand them. You live it. You talk to I mean, don't you even go into to colleges and talk to these students? Yes. Yeah. So it's really, if you think about being like a bridge between generations, part of my job is to help boomers understand the newer generations and part of it is for me to go to colleges too and say this is how the world is set up you don't know it yet you haven't entered it yet but there's this thing called professionalism where you come to work and you don't expect your coworkers to hold you emotionally you yeah. learn how to take care of yourself fill your cup have friends and then also go to work and unite on a common goal and task and sometimes you end up having a best friend there, but sometimes you don't. So you can imagine for anybody who's in their 20s in college, this is kind of revolutionary. Like, oh, I'm going to enter this other foreign world that I've never been in where I have to be a professional. What does that even mean? There's a lot of communication both ways as a bridge. Yes. Uh, unbelievable. So, so okay, yeah. so you've got your, your certificate. You've got your psychology background. You have your your experience as a drummer. You've traveled the world. So you bring that all to the table, and then yeah. you decide to start your own business. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about that. What what do you have? What's your business? What do you do? Yeah. What well, morphs? It's morphed over the last seven years. When I first started, I I really started a business out of kind of necessity to be able to do this thing of coaching millennials in their careers. And so I built a client base, just like you would if you were any, you know, anything else. I built a client base of 
people that I was working with on a weekly or biweekly basis, and I walked them through this program that I created called Unleash My Career. So that was a majority of my time. And my friends were coming to me and saying, like, you should be talking about what you're doing. Like, help CEOs and leaders understand. Will you come talk to my coaching circle of CEOs? Will you come talk to these leaders? So I was speaking for free and hustling. Wow. And then also teaching drum lessons at the same time. So in tw- if you saw me from 2013 to 2015, I either had a pair of drumsticks in hand, teaching an eight-year-old a rock beat, <laughs> speaking to CEOs about millennials, or I was coaching somebody through my program. And it was, you know, when you start a business, I think my first year I made $9,000. So I think that's the other piece is being an entrepreneur, and I'm not even really an entrepreneur, I'm really just a solo practitioner, but being a business owner is not as sexy as people think it is. It's right. You're growing a child that eats and eats and eats and eats. That's really what you're doing. You gotta feed it money, you gotta feed it time and energy, and it grows. And so even now I would say my business is in like the teenage years, you know, we've still got braces, we're still figuring it out, we're still growing. And um, that's part of the process when you sign up to start a business, and you know this, Karen, you're in at least five years to the point where you're really feeling solid. Right. And so I'm just over that five year hump, I'm at like seven and a half, eight years now. And my business, I don't take on a lot of private clients anymore. I have a few, uh, but I try to multiply my time through offerings like Practice with Lindsay, where we we practice kind of like a band would practice. We practice our soft skills. I love that idea. And you're just starting that, right? Yeah, that's brand new. That started during COVID. The concept of it even started uh, when we were all on lockdown. So (laughs) I've got that piece. I still speak publicly. Last year we did... 140 150 zoom events wow talking about generations in the workplace yeah and what what we need to do to take care of each other and so you'll see even now my time is split if i'm not coaching people which is rare i'm building content and getting ready to host the band practices with people that sign up or i'm getting ready to do a keynote and you know my schedule is you would really have to like this life you know i have three keynotes this saturday on a Zoom. So I'm going to stand right here. Oh my God. Back to back keynotes all day Saturday. Wow. So I think that's the other piece is I like to show like the underbelly of having a business. Oh, it must be nice. You can write off a meal. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can write off a meal, but are you working all day Saturday? Do you get a meal is the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have time to eat? <laughs> yeah. So I like variety. It's part of my personality. Yep. And I have an awesome team that keeps all the pieces glued in. So I take good care of the people I interact with. Mm-hmm. That really is, you know, now my business has evolved where I'm mostly speaking and running the band. Wow. So important question. Do you still have passion for what you're doing? Do you love what you're doing? I always, if I am not excited, you can tell. (laughs) I can tell. It's horrible. Like, oh, what are we doing here? Okay. So I, there's a, there's a um, weird catch in my personality where I have to do things that entertain me, that excite me. So I definitely have passion for what I'm doing now and it will continue to evolve. You know, that's what the band represents this, this practicing with Lindsay is, as I spoke about millennials and the generational differences, the biggest piece that comes up is emotional intelligence. Mm, Leaders who've been leaders for decades used to depend on their authority to motivate their teams. Well, we don't run an authority 
anymore. Everybody knows how much money everybody makes. Everybody can go somewhere else and earn the same amount of money somewhere else. So some of the mystique or the mystery and the the authority around leadership is gone. And mm -hmm. we really want to be in collaborative environments. So it's my job to help leaders build their soft skills and their emotional intelligence. So you can see how, as I'm seeing this myself, how important that is. I know just for my own integrity, I've got to offer something that helps people actually grow in this way. I can't say, go learn some soft skills, learn how to listen and coach and ask questions. See you later. <laughs> I have to be able to say, let me help you grow in this way. And, or I think it's important to do that. So that's yeah. super energizing to me. When you uncover a problem and a solution, and then you can help people with the solution, that's like so juicy to me. That's exciting. So that's how I keep myself um, interested in my own work. <laughs> well, what I like how you do things in, in the, you know, it's the marketing piece of it, but you always bring those drumsticks with you. Yeah, through your life. So, yep. you know, earlier on, you said you have them right in front of you. But but this whole band concept, you know, you're not you're not giving up that whole idea. But when you bring that into what you're doing now, because you realize that there is this problem of just common skills that people don't have, or they need to brush up on them, or they don't use them on a regular basis. But you're bringing the whole band idea. And, and that piece is what excites you because you still have that passion for drums and band and you can bring the two lives together, which keeps you pumped, which then pumps the other people that you're trying to, to help. So I, I just like that whole the whole way that you do things like it's, it's very well thought out. You, you really come across to to us as those who are watching you. It's just very fresh. It's very exciting. And it's not that. I'm going to stand in front of you and present in a very boring way. <laughs> you, you bring yeah. life to what you do. And the stories that you have and the stories that you present are very real, very, you know, I can relate to them. Other people can relate to them. And once the audience relates to you, that's half the battle. You've got them at that point. Because whatever you say after that, they are with you. They're in it. They understand and they want to you know, if they're there and they're in your audience, they want to make a difference. They want to change. They want that's to improve. Right. So, so I, I, I think that that's, that's all great. So let's say, what do you think is the biggest misconception about millennials right now? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have to pick one. Um, well, here's what's so interesting because we're starting to see a shift. But anybody who's under 25, which is actually a Gen Z now. Okay. Um, anybody who's under 25, they will always be seen as like, oh, you're going to ruin everything. You don't, you know, you're going to, you're changing the world for the worse. We don't like it. And so millennials now, what the misconception is, is that they're still young bucks. <laughs> millennials are 40. Wow. You know, millennials are in 40 to about 26. So you can imagine they're like, uh, they're not in the, their first stage of their career. They're mid-career. They're turning into some leaders, some true leaders yeah. in their departments and in their industries. And so I think one of the misconceptions is that millennials are still the problem. And I, they're not even the young bucks that you're hiring out of college anymore. And part of it, too, is, you know, this idea of that we're entitled, that millennials are entitled, that they're self-focused. What's really happened is the marketplace has ripped wide open. And I have clients who are making a hundred grand on Etsy a year. I have wow. clients who are doing all different types of activities, making money that don't answer to a boss or an organization. 
And what really is going on is that there is more freedom and choice and personal power in your career than ever before. Mm -hmm. So one thing I tell everyone is like, if there was ever a time in the history of humanity to be born and, and listen to your calling and do what you're called to do, you have no excuse right now to do that. Right. And millennials get that. And then they do it. And then I think older generations get annoyed because they didn't get that same freedom. <laughs> well, and they should realize that they do have that freedom right now. Anybody right. out there in the workforce, I don't care if you're almost about to retire or if you've retired, you can still do whatever you want. You can create that dream. It, it's available. Right yes. Yeah. In yeah. this moment. Yeah. You love dogs. You want to start a dog breeding podcast and you want to be the resident dog walker in your neighborhood or the nicest neighborhood in your town, go do it. Yeah. There's somebody that makes over a million dollars a year dog walking in New York City <sighs> because they've built a sustainable, thriving business and have trusted clients and customers. And wow. so anything is possible. Yeah. And that much bravado for me to say that can be really frustrating to people that didn't get that much freedom in their youth. Right. And, and their whole mindset is different because of the generation and those kinds of the mindset that they have actually stops them from taking chances and, and that exactly fear right. freezes them. So, um, yeah, totally agree. So so uh, just the last couple questions. Um, what do you love most about what you do right now? What what like gets you up? And, and what keeps you fired during the week? And then on Sunday more or Sunday evenings, you're like, can't wait to get to Monday because I'm doing this. Yeah. What is it? Well, I think I suspect that life is all about connection. Mm -hmm. And so I was super jazzed to come on this with you and just connect Thank with you. you and learn more about you and hear all that you're doing to change people's lives. You know, before this call, I was on with one of my favorite companies talking about how to build a pipeline of talent, of leadership, which is exciting to me to watch them care about that. You know, after this, I'll be talking to college students about designing their careers. So to me, it's about connection. My job is to help people feel like they're going to be okay, that they have comfort and that they have some, and I normalize their human experience and then inspire them to greater heights, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. So anytime I get to do that, that's worth me getting out of bed. That okay. is, I wanna be a bright light for people that are maybe feeling not seen or cared for, or even really know what they want out of life, to be able to be you know, a placeholder for hope mm -hmm. for people, that's what gets me out of bed. Well, everything that I've seen so far, especially like on LinkedIn, that's what you're doing. And, and everything that comes from you, everything that you post is very refreshing. It's very specific, um, very helpful, uh, you know, just very energized. And, and so if, if anybody's out there that's listening who has not met you, has not seen you on LinkedIn, I definitely um, suggest that you you find her um, and follow her and just just see the kind of work that she's doing. Everybody's out there in different jobs, different careers, working with different generations, and we all need to work better together, and I think that's the key. And I think that Lindsay actually has the key to how to do that, how to do that successfully. It, you don't have to do it yourself, and you don't have to try to figure this out. She's already got it figured out, so just listen to her. <laughs> it makes your life a whole bunch easier. You just, just listen. I've been listening to some of the other podcasts that you've been on during the week, um, and you've been on many, so you just go to her website, and you can see all the podcasts she's been on. But all the information that you give, everything that you say, 
is very, very true and, and very helpful. So the end, I asked my guests to leave the podcast with three pieces of advice. So what advice would you give a college student right now about to graduate, almost graduating, and trying to find themselves because they might not be so sure what they want to do after graduation. So what, what advice would you give them? For a college student, I would say clarity comes with action. Don't sit and stress about it. Just go try something, anything. Try it. You want to be a business owner, go shadow a business owner. Go work for a florist for six months and see what you love about business. And everywhere you go, pick up the nuggets of what you love to do. Know that you're not going to be good at everything. You don't have to be. You just The people that make the most money are those that know what they're best at and focus on that. So go out and try. That's the best way to learn what you really like in your bones. Okay. And generations before, they had maybe two choices. They picked one, right. and they stayed with that one for 60 years. They got the gold watch, they retired, and they were happy. How many times does someone actually change a career nowadays? Three, four, oh, five, six? I've heard numbers everywhere from six to 15. Yeah. So. And so that just tells you that it's the foundation, it's the skill set that you acquire along the way that's going to help you be able to make those pivots. And if you have a number of things that you're interested in, there is no reason on earth that you can't dabble in all of those things at some point in your work career. So, yeah, so totally, totally agree. Well, Lindsay, I want to thank you so much. I I really appreciate your time today, spending time talking about your own career journey, because I think that that's where it all stems. Everybody has a great story, but yours is just really, really interesting with the whole drumming thing. So (laughs) I, I, I had to call you in and I had to ask you about that, because I think that that's a great, that's a fantastic story. So I hope that maybe, you know, someday you'll be able to come back and we'll continue our conversation. But but thank you for your time. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for having me. This is really fun. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Sharp HR Career Corner. If you're looking to make a career change and you aren't sure where you know where to start, then contact Sharp Human Resources. We'd love to help you out. We can make the process a smooth transition for you. Go to sharphumanresources-buffalo.com for more information. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, I encourage you to download the podcast, leave a comment, and share with others that you know. The more downloads, comments, and likes that our podcast receives, the better our ratings and the easier we can be found. So thank you in advance. And Lindsay, I just want to ask you, if someone is interested in reaching out to you, what's the best way to find you other than LinkedIn? Yeah, my website's just my name, so lindsaybocardo.com. Um, you can also just go to practice with lindsay.com if you want to join the band and start practicing your people skills. Okay. And I highly recommend that you all do that. So, (laughs) um, and I will put that information on the podcast when we post it so that they'll be able to also find that. So until next time, be kind, everyone. We need to show a lot more kindness in the world and it starts with you and I. So thanks again for listening and have a great day.